fear and faith have the same thing in common in that they both require you to believe something that hasn't happened yet. So wherever you are hoping to go, don't allow your fears to dictate how you're going to move forward. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. I used to get so overwhelmed with all I had to do in my business. Being a one woman show and growing a business was just unrealistic. I barely had time to record this podcast. My list full of things was like pitch monsters, get back to sponsor with contract, record my show, record my ads, publish my show and schedule the show notes, get back to emails in my inbox and so much more. Then I heard about Fancy Hands. They are the fastest, most affordable virtual assistant service in the country with a team of assistants based right here in the U.S. That's right, 100% U.S.-based workers. Fancy Hands gives you a team of assistants ready to work for you right now. Just tell them what you need done and they'll handle it. This is an incredible service that actually lets you focus on what you do best. So here's my list of things to do today. Record podcast. That's it. Fancy Hands will do the rest. Go to fancyhands.com and enter the code HUSTLEPRO for 50% off your first month. That's fancyhands.com and enter the code HUSTLEPRO for 50% off your first month. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here and today in the guest chair, we have Grace Alea, the founder of Grace Alea Inc. Grace Alea Inc. is dedicated to reinventing the way we protect our hair by creating modern protective products with us in mind. They started with their trademark product, the Original Slap, which stands for Satin Lined Cap. You get it? The Slap is this stylish cap that retains moisture because it's satin lining and it stays on your head at night because it has this elastic band and it's fashionable enough to wear outside. It all started back in 2014 when Grace took a trip to Kenya that changed her life. During a bumpy eight-hour car ride, all the hair on the back of her head broke off. I can't even imagine. It was the result of her having chemically straightened hair, plus the constant friction against the headrest and the heat. And the rest of this story ended up being history. And she talks about it in this episode. Later that year, she got to work on finding a solution to her completely damaged, broken, and dry hair. And that ended up resulting in her creating the first prototype of the slap. In this episode, Grace shares what happened after she created that prototype, including the reaction from her family. She also shares how and when she decided to start selling her products on Etsy. Then what made her decide to fully launch Grace Alea, Plus, what happened when she initially reached out to get beauty bloggers to review the slap and so much more. One other thing that just happened, Grace Alea's fold over satin line beanie just made Oprah's favorite things list for 2020. So let's find out all about the brand that Oprah and more are giving rave reviews to. All right, let's get right into it. Welcome to the guest chair, Grace. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. You know, I have had a slap cap since like the very early days. The first time I saw an ad cross my timeline, I was like, oh, need that. Get in that. <laughs> you don't have to tell yeah. me twice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> give me, yeah, I am like I your target it. audience. Um, give me a little background about your journey into this, though. Who is Grace and when did you develop your entrepreneurial spirit? So... Yep. I, uh, entrepreneurial spirit. I probably, my parents are immigrants. From which country? Uh, so my mom's from Kenya and my dad's from Nigeria. Okay. Um, so I think just, just the, I, I feel like in general, immigrants tend to be very entrepreneurial in nature, just by the fact that they left their country to come in and they're like hustling to continue to make it and make, you know, better lives for their children and everything. So a lot of my entrepreneurial spirit, I think comes from just being raised by, by immigrants. But I was working, I also, after college, I graduated during 
the recession. <laughs> um, and I did have an opportunity to go one of two ways. So I could either go the corporate route and I had an offer to go to the corporate route or I was working at a PR firm out or a niche PR firm in Newport Beach that offered me a position as an executive assistant as he was going to go and run a small, medium-sized business that was growing. And so the beginning of my career was was basically in the trenches of small to medium-sized businesses. So I went from there to another small to medium-sized business that was uh, a B2B software startup company where I was running their customer development program. And so I was able to kind of see business happen and growth and be in the room, especially as the executive assistant, I was in the room for a lot of these big meetings, where even if it was just getting coffee or pushing next on the slide, I was in these rooms watching business happen um, from early in my career. And so I think that that also really helped push, push me towards, you know, being an entrepreneur myself. So I understand that this business kind of came about as you were on another career path. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about where you were at the time mm-hmm. when you came up with this idea and, you know, sure. what happened next? Yeah. So I had wanted to go to journalism grad school for a while. And I was actually working still in customer development for a B2B startup in Long Beach, California. And at the time I was actually taking sewing night classes (laughs) and different fashion design courses uh, just at night at the local community college. And I got into Northwestern and that's, that's the journalism school I went to. I think the same month, I think it was both. I got I got the letter that I was I was accepted in February, and I got the idea, of, or I, I've created the first prototype for the slap in February of 2014. Uh, both those things happened at the same time, but I had already been thinking about the idea for the slap for the last probably six months to a year or so before that time. Uh, just kind of I I, I, I had gone on a vaca- vacation to visit my p- mother's family in Kenya, and between having the chemically straightened hair, heat straightened hair, it being summer in Kenya. And then we went on a road trip that my head was just bumping up against a headrest for 12 hours round trip. All of that combined, I got, I basically got about a two inch wide in diameter hole of breakage in the middle of my head. Right. Wow. And so, and I remember my mom telling me, Hey, you need to probably wear a scarf or something because it can be really dry and dusty at this time of year and on these and on these rides, you know. And I was and I was like, I'm on vacation. I want to look cute. No, you know. Uh, and of course, <laughs> to my to my detriment, of course, it, it it resulted in breakage. So at the end of the day, I I had I thought to myself, there has to be something out there that is stylish enough for me to want to wear on vacation, but also protective of my hair so that it doesn't break off. And so that's kind of, that's where the wheels got to turning for, in terms of the idea. And then a year, a year later, I was able to actually make the first prototype just before I left for grad school. <laughs> you know, what's so interesting to me is that you were convinced like, okay, I want to go to grad school. Um, mm-hmm. I'm applying to journalism school, but then you start these night classes uh-huh. and it's like, what was your goal with the night classes? Were you planning to just kind of make the product and not sell it? Did you think that through or were you just like, I, I just really want to figure out how to develop it? So in my mind, I wanted to, so I, people, a lot of my closest friends laugh at me when they look back at my twenties, like Grace had five different things that she was into, you know, five different full lives that she wanted to, you know, pursue. So, and one of those things was fashion design in general. So I've always kind of wanted to start a fashion line of some sort. And so I was actually just taking those courses just to learn sewing, to learn how to design, to get my feet wet. And also because I just had the time, you know, so I was, just, I was just doing all these different things. Right. And so it ended up being that this idea came when it came in February and I made the prototype, I showed it to my mom, sisters, aunties, all on and the like, and they were like, this could be a business. And in my mind, I was like, no, no, no. I, if, if I do start a business, it'll be a fashion line. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you guys are wrong. Like this, this was just something that I wanted to create because I need a stylish way to go to bed. And my mom's like, no, this is a business. <laughs> you know, this, we could actually start with this, you know? So um, I think it was an accident. <laughs> it was, it was more that I was, I was actually pursuing a different, I was taking the classes to get the knowledge because I was interested in other things, but it helped me to actually have that knowledge to create the first prototype and be the first, my, I was my own first manufacturer in the beginning. 
I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask when you developed your prototype, how did you then multiply that? Like, were you literally making every single one of those initial slab caps that you were selling? Yeah. So we were selling. So when, we, when after mom convinced me, you know, this could be a business. So I, then, then my friends and family became my first customers and my first focus groups. Right. So I would show it to a friend or family like, Oh, I really like this. Like, you know, how much? And so I, I, they, they were the ones who I could test price <laughs> pricing with and I would, I would create it and then set, or make it with my sewing, my little at home sewing machine, sell it to them. They would give me feedback. And then I, when I finally created probably what the, the slap is today, the, the, pro, the pattern for what the slap is today, that's when I would just sew it on my sewing machine and sell it on Etsy. We, we started selling on Etsy at that point. And, and, it's, and the sewing part was only one piece of the pie. We had to like create receipts in Word, <laughs> you know, um, figure out how to, to ship it to them, you know, uh, and, and all of those things. Packing slips, to the, again, we just would, we would create it in Word or on, uh, on uh, Apple Pages, you know, uh, and send it to the, these customers. And so uh, it, was, uh, it was, I think we did that for about four months before we finally, I like searched online for, a sewing contractor. And I didn't even know the terms to use. I was like, uh, you know, seamstress, <laughs> you know, tailor. Right. Um, where, do you, where do you even begin? <laughs> exactly. How did that process go as you were searching for people? Did you have kind of a, a interview process to test them out, make sure they could actually do what you needed them to do? Yeah. So I, it was, <laughs> it was definitely, it was definitely new. Everything was new. So I didn't, even if, if for the interviewing of the, it was really just me coming with my product and my pattern that I made uh, and saying, Hey, can you make this? You know, I think we actually started, did we start? I think we started with uh, apparel, apparel, no American apparel that yeah, American apparel had a um, private label division where they manufacture for other companies, you know? And so I think, I think that's where we started with our meetings because that was the first search result that happened. So we went down there like, Hey, can you do this? Uh, can you basically, can you make this? Like, we wanted them to be able to source the materials and, and actually create the product. Uh, but they don't have a lot of products that they use with satin. And they, they like to only use the materials that are already working in their line, you know, of, of clothes. And so they don't, they already weren't using satin. So we just couldn't get it to work, even though they could, of course, manufacture it. They just didn't, they didn't have the materials and they didn't, you know, have the option of us providing them with the satin. So then we, you know, I think finally got the right terminology and it was like sewing contractor downtown Los Angeles, you know, and found a couple there. And I went to one so, and I, and I also didn't know that there were, there were steps to the process, right. You know, it, within, it, within manufacturing, you know, there's, there's the raw materials gathering stage. Then you have, you could, there's a whole other person that, that provides the cutting uh, for it. Or, or before that, even you might have the marking, which, which is the pattern that I was talking about. Then you have the cutting and then you have the sewing and then you have the packing. You know? Wow. So many um, details. So, so many details that I had no idea, you know, I was just doing all this myself essentially. And just to, you know, really ground us in where you were at this point, um, you, mm-hmm. did you start grad school or did you decide to pause and not go down that path? Not yet. So I got in, I got the acceptance letter in February, but my, but the, the school didn't start until I think late June was when the school actually started. So I still had about four months where I was, I was making them myself. And then in May of that year, I was just talking to my brother who was working at one of Amazon's um, big distribution centers, not working at, he was actually running it, one of Amazon's big distribution centers at the time. And he was like, here's a credit card with a $10,000 limit. Let's see what we can do if this business has potential, essentially. And so that's when I was really started hoofing it and like looking for a manufacturer, looking for these things. So I had those four months to, so I, when I finally found one, he was able to do the cutting and the sewing, but I needed to go and find the raw materials. So then I was hoofing it around downtown Los Angeles, looking for the raw materials, uh, the satin, the rayon, the, the, you know, all big, big bulk fabrics that I could deliver to, to this guy's manufacturing facility um, to to work. So I had those, I had those four months before I started grad school to really get the, the ball rolling. So just to make sure I'm clear, when you said your brother was like, here's a credit card, 
Are you saying mm-hmm. he essentially was like, you know, I'm I'm willing to support this business. Let's use this to do whatever we need to do at first and then hopefully make it back, you know, and pay it off. Is that what, what happened there? Essentially. So we had actually, I mean, we had talked for years about the idea of, you know, maybe one day starting. We have, I think, five business degrees between the six of us and our family. So we had definitely talked about like one day, maybe we could start a business, you know, years before. And, you, you know, and I remember him, him, he and I even came to like a, an agreement one year and it was like, you, he was, he said, you come up with an idea and I'll help you scale it, you know? And so we kind of had this, you know, like I said, he was run, running one of Amazon's big distribution centers. So he, he just is, has a brilliant operational mind. And so we, what, when I said I have this idea, I remember even talking to him on the phone uh, before he gave gave the credit card, and and I I told him, you know, I think this is a pretty good one. You know, now about a month in, we've we've made a couple sales here and there. You know, I was like, I think this is a pretty good idea. I think I've got I've got something. He's like, you think you, you think this is something? I said, yeah, I think I could sell like a hundred of these a day. You know, and he was like, you think you could sell a hundred of these in a day? You know, and like just. <laughs> Where did that projection come from? I love it. It's like, it's, it's it was just me, you know, uh, just, just hypothesizing. It really was, it just came out of gut, really. It was yeah, yeah. not something that, that I, I thought about or, or projected out. It was just, we were at the time selling one every couple of days, you know? So, <laughs> so to go from one every couple of days. Yeah. All right, I see yeah. it. I see the vision. You gotta have totally. Confidence. Yes, exactly. And it's, and what's funny too, is that I, you know, whenever I speak, actually, I always tell the story of how there's still levels that you, that, that, you know, you have to get to, because if I had sold a hundred a day, when I was selling one every couple of days, when I was also doing the manufacturing and I, and I didn't know the correct terminology for a sewing contractor in Los Angeles, it would have broken. We would have yeah, broken. You wouldn't have been ready. 100%. I, I, I think I could sew one every 30 minutes in, in 30 minutes, I should say, not just sewing. That's just sewing, not including cutting. So that means in, a, in an eight hour day with no lunch break, I would sew 16. <laughs> so, and like to give you perspective, you know, my team, my team of my sewing team of two right now can do like 120 in a day of two. Nice. Right. Nice. So it's, so I was a slow sewer just to, just, just to give like some perspective. Mm-hmm. And so if we had done a hundred a day, yeah. At that time, you know, it would have taken me weeks to catch up to, mm-hmm. to the ordering, you know. And, and that's so, so important to know. Mm-hmm. So you 100%. said you said to your brother, hey, I, I think I could do 100 a day. <laughs> and he yeah, was, exactly. Yeah. exactly. He was like, what? You really think that? He was like, all right. And then so that's when he was like, all right, let's see. Let's see if this is something. And so that's when we found the sewing contractor. We had a photo shoot. We, we uh, had I have a, a photographer friend and very beautiful friends who were willing to, to, you know, be my first models for, for very cheap, you know, and they, we just had a photo shoot. I, a friend of a friend was a graphic designer who, who gave us a, a really good deal in terms of designing our website. And I, and so I had, I put all of these things in motion and then I left for grad school. <laughs> Get out. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? So what do you mean by you put it in motion? So did you leave a family member in charge of operations from there forth? Like what happened next? Not yet. So I, so in the first three months, uh, so in the first quarter, so it was going to be four quarters at grad school, the manufacturer run was just going on. So, you know, I, I, I hired someone who I, I would just check in, in with, you know, once a week or so uh, from Chicago area for the manufacturing we were working on designing the website. We just figured, and so my brother also now is helping out on his, in his spare time as well, um, helping to figure out. That's when we figured out we wanted to use uh, WordPress and WooCommerce at first. This was this was pre Shopify days for us. Right. So we were using WordPress and WooCommerce. You know, we I, and so I was managing, and we already had the pictures. We were, I was editing some from from Chicago, just you know, in between classes or at night. And, and then at, I think a couple months in, my brother took some time off work and jumped in and helped with the operate. Once we decided to launch, he he jumped in and uh, and basically with both feet, took some time off work and was now helping us full time with the business. And so doing research, trying to figure out marketing tactics. So when I came home for the first 
the, the in-between break from the first quarter, that was September of 2014, that's when we decided to launch. So we had the website, the, the manufacturing run was now complete, and my brother was now in, in it to do it, right? So we launched by sending 100 influencers. And we, at the time, we just called them YouTubers with a high following. They were not known as influencers at the time. So we, <laughs> <laughs> so we emailed 100 different YouTubers with a high following three times each, right? So my sister also w- jumped in. She helped with the social media and with all of the, the branding at this point, right? And so we, we were emailing all these, these um, YouTubers with a high following and we got three responses total. One person said yes. No, sorry, one person said no, thank you. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just like imagining going through this process. Yeah, right. Exactly, and it's it it is laughable. It's funny, like you know, at this point, because it's like uh, the only the the one other the I think she was also the first response was just a no, thank you. You know, it's like out of a hundred people that we emailed three times each. You know, this one finally was like, no, I don't want, I don't want to work with you. Um, (laughs) Stop emailing. Yeah, stop emailing me. Exactly. The second one, the second one said, um, not now I'm moving, but email me in a month or, or something like that. And then the third one said, I've never heard of sleeping with satin. She was a YouTuber out of uh, Canada, actually. Uh, and I think she said she was half Malaysian, half something else. Actually, not, I'm not even sure. So she's, a, so she's, she was just like, she has straight thick hair. You know, she's like, I've never heard of sleeping with satin, but go ahead and send me one and I'll see. You know, so we just sent her one and we went about our lives. You know, we were just, we were rejoicing. We were still selling on Etsy, trying to drive traffic to our website somehow, working on SEO, working on different things to get people to come to our website. And we were selling maybe one a day, two a day, rejoicing at five in a day, you know, and now I've, I've flown back. My brother's helping with the shipping. My sister's also still in college. You know, she's still an undergrad. And so she's, she's doing what she can on the, the social media marketing side. You know, my, my brother's like, okay, maybe try it. Let's try doing a video. So then I would, in my apartment, I think that one's still circulating and I still am embarrassed That might be it. the one I saw. <laughs> my, <laughs> probably is. Tell us about There's this. There's one of me in my apartment, you know, talking about like my hair loss, you know, journey. And, you know, and that, that was used to drive people to, to try to drive traffic to our website, our actual website, you know. And so we were, we were all working together you know, trying to get the, and at the same time, my mom, who's a CPA and accountant is doing all of our, the books for the, for all of the sales and stuff. And so in October, mid-October, we have a day where we sell 25 in a day. And my brother's calling me like, what's going on? What is, you know, where this 25 in a day, the next day it was 50, you know, and then the next day wow. it was, it was even more than that. And we just did this little spike you know, until it came back down. And so he's going on the back end. He's in Google Analytics trying to figure out where all this traffic is coming from. And we find out that all that traffic is coming from uh, one source. And it was the one, maybe, send me one and I will see if I, you know, what this, what the, all this sleeping with satin is, what sleeping with satin is all about. Look you at know? that. I know, I know. It was, it was like, a, whoa, it worked. You know, this is going to, it was, it was one of those, maybe this is going to work. You know, I'm so I'm like getting excited as you're telling this story. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! Like, what? What? Uh-huh, uh-huh. In a day. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsors. It has been incredibly hard to focus during a pandemic. I mean, it's taking me ten times longer to silence my mind. 10 times longer to just zero in on a task and knock out work. And I know it can't just be me. That's where Cave Day comes in. Cave Day leads daily group focus sessions for a worldwide community over Zoom. Cave Day is like a group fitness class, but for your work. A trained guide leads these check-ins, deep work sprints, and energizing breaks. And Cave Day members report that they get an average of two and a half times more done in the cave. And Side Hustle Pro listeners can try a free three-hour cave with promo code SIDEHUSTLE, all caps, you guys, at caveday.org. Now, unlimited membership to Cave Day is $39.99 a month, and one-month gift cards are available this holiday season for all the side hustlers in your life. So check out the world's most focused community. And again, try a free three-hour cave with promo code SIDEHUSTLE. Make sure to use all caps at caveday.org. 
this episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity. Skillshare offers creative classes designed for real life and all of the circumstances that come with it. These lessons can help you stay inspired and express yourself, not to mention keep your business organized and thriving until you're able to hire more help. And now Skillshare is offering two weeks free for Side Hustle Pro listeners. I recently took a new Skillshare class called Storytelling for Leaders, How to Craft Stories That Matter. And I just found it really helpful as I think about how I want to improve my skills as a storyteller and enhance the stories I bring you on this podcast every week. What I love about Skillshare is that it offers membership with meaning. You can really get a lot of value from these classes with so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash hustle. The first 1,000 people to use the Skillshare.com slash hustle link will get a free trial of Skillshare premium membership. So go ahead and again, that's Skillshare.com slash hustle. So you got 25 orders in a day. What did you guys do at that point to adjust to the new influx of demand? So my brother had already started doing the shipping and I'm so grateful that he took the time to, that he jumped in like that. I think at this point he had now left his job. So before he had taken time off just before we launched and then he decided to leave his job and jump in because this he wanted to, he wanted to be able to re, like research this whole e-commerce space. Right. And so this was his first test subject, essentially, Grace Lay Inc. Um, and so we were, he was actually doing the shipping from out of his house in Northern California. And we had already sent the, it, I think he came down to pick up the inventory when I was home for, for the break. So he was, he, we, he may not have been ready yet, but he quickly scaled to a capacity that would work essentially. And, and so on top of that, you know, it's not just the shipping part. It's also the inventory management part. We were, we were looking, we were researching, I think at the time we were using a program called Stitch, if I'm not mistaken, that plugged into the, the different stores to basically deduct inventory when one when a product is sold, and to basically send it to ShipStation, which is where we ship from, you know, uh, and sit out from there. So your brother was kind of like the first one to go from side hustle to full time with yep. <laughs> Grace Alea. Yep, yep, one hundred percent. And what about you? At what point did you realize, okay, this, you know, like your mom and your family was saying, this is a real business mm-hmm. and this is going to require a full-time effort from me. So as soon as I graduated, I jumped right in, you know, I was like, okay, you know, there goes that job advice, you know, or whatever, whatever, you know, news publication I was, I was interested in, in going to at that time. Um, it was, it was, I jumped in full, full feet. And every time, every break I was at home working. You know, so I came, I would fly back to California almost every break to do, to work essentially. And so by the time I graduated, I knew my brother was tired, (laughs) you know, he, he, you know, so now we were, I began to ship, we started shipping out of my parents' house. So he brought the rest of the inventory down. We had already had to do, I think, two more manufacturing runs at that point because we had now, once we found Cloudy Apples was the influencer that, that um, helped us help did the first video for us. Uh, but we, once we found out that that was a great marketing channel to get the word out, because, you know, when we made the business plan initially, we knew that we didn't want to go direct to retail. Like many of, of the, the business owners that I, you know, admired, you know, between like Damon John with FUBU or Sarah Blakely with Spanx, you know, uh, they all went to retail first. And so I, we knew that we couldn't do that because this product really required an education. And we just live in such an, a great time where you can now speak directly to the consumer. And that's why we went the YouTuber with a high following route first. Uh, and so that's what we ended up using throughout 2015 was just influencers. And we, my brother had it down to a science where we could predict based on subscribers, based on the, the number, the average number of views that that particular YouTuber uh, received and based on the type of video that they were publishing, uh, we knew how, how, sale, how sales we were going to get essentially. And so we scaled 10X year over year, 2014 to 2015 and then 2015 to 2016. Um, and so we'd already done two manufacturing runs while I was 
in school. So on breaks I'm, and, and little weekends, I'm coming back home to check on things. My brother's coming down from Northern California to check on things. We're looking for new manufacturers, you know, interviewing, interview, I, like I would come in, we even were like trying to interview sewers, like coming, them coming into my parents' back room, you know, like strangers that we met on Craigslist, just putting my family at risk. <laughs> Um, coming coming into the back room (laughs) Um, like interviewing them so then we finally launched or I'd graduate it was only one year program luckily um I graduate in June and I come home and I'm that's I didn't even go to my graduation you know I came I came home and was done and were you planning to do anything with the degree at that point? Or was just like, I started, I'm going to finish. Or were you actually learning things for later on when you want to pitch journalists? So I had planned. Yeah. You know, it's funny because it was, it came, all of it was very divine. You know, all of it came, just came together. You know, I, I knew I wanted to do journalism, but I wasn't sure what that would look like. Even when I was in school, uh, I knew it was probably more long form. You know, I wanted to be able to tell, tell the stories of different individuals around the world. Um, and so when I graduated, I, you know, I, I had the thought and, and it very much so like I, I, I just believe that, you know, the God journey sometimes looks different than the journey that many other people may have been on, you know? So I just kind of submitted my, my journey <laughs> to God. And I was like, okay, if it, if the route to journalism or what my version of journalism looks like is not the, the typical one, then that's okay. Especially when I graduated, because I was looking at different positions, you know, I had all these plans, but I came back and I was like, nope, <laughs> it's time to get to work. And so then I was, I was hoofing it. I would drive from my house to downtown LA to buy fabric. I'm looking at, I'm looking everywhere for fabric. Then I take that fabric down to Santa Ana, which is about, um, so my house is, I live in Chino, California, which is about 40 minutes east of downtown. And then I would take, I would drive my mom's car, uh, uh, fill it up literally to the brim with, with rolls of fabric and then drive that all the way down to Orange County, which is, uh, you know, another 40 minutes or so downtown. And this is with no traffic. When there's traffic, it's miserable. But with no traffic, 40 minutes all the way to Orange wow. County to the Literally cutter. hoofing it. And I like that you keep using that Literally. word. <laughs> yeah. Literally. <laughs> okay. Literally. <laughs> Putting in that work. Yeah, exactly. Putting in the work. And then from there, I'm taking it to, to someone else in Orange County to do the sewing. Then I'm coming back, waiting for the sewing to be complete, going back and picking it up, bringing it back to the back of my parents' house and having friends, family, everyone help us pack the goods, you know. Um, into the night, you know, I have people, pe- people would come over and then they would just pack all, all night. Wow. And is this who was also handling shipping? Cause you know, while you're at school or your brother's flying back and forth, who is actually doing all of the shipping? So at this point now, my family is now doing this. So me, I, now I'm doing the shipping, I'm doing the packing, the shipping, we're, we're, we're doing the customer service. We're all wearing all the hats, <laughs> essentially. Right. You know, there's multiple times where I like, I just thank God so, so much for my family. You know, like there's a saying that I, that I heard and I live by now, you find your people, you find your destiny. I was just blessed to have my people and my family because there's moments where I, I would read a customer service email, maybe where that was disparaging the slap or, uh, you know, just it's something that was, or, or they like, I, it took te- like five days for me to get my order, you know, and I'm reading these things, getting so discouraged, you know, getting ready to, to shut, close down shop. And my sister would be like, move, you know, like, like move, I, I'll take this one. You know, and she, and she immediately, <laughs> she's like responding to, <laughs> she like sees me getting discouraged, move, I'll take this one. You know, I, and I had friends who were also in grad school, just locally in, in California, who would come over to hang out, you know, like in the, after class or whatever. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay, I love the story you're telling me, but if you could do that while you're packing, you know, like, tell me, t- talk to me while you're packing flaps or while you're yes. responding to customer service email. <laughs> that was kind of like how, you know, we started. One thing that um, I find really interesting about what you said is you guys knew that your product needed an education. What do you mm-hmm. mean by that? Yeah. So if we went straight to retail, uh, let's say we, we went to Sally's or the local beauty supply store, which we tried to go to the local beauty supply store, actually. Um, and he said it was too expensive. So people would wonder, why is this bonnet, you know, 
so much more than this bonnet, essentially. Why is the slap price so, so higher than the $2 bonnet, right? And then at the same time, if we put it into a department store like a Nordstrom or a JCPenney, people would wonder why there's satin on the inside of their beanie, you know? And so we knew that there was, that we're in this hybrid space of between function and fashion and that people needed to understand what this really represented and what, it, what, what this was about. So, so we knew that we needed to partner with people who already had a platform to educate their platform and others on what this product is and, you know, why it's so beneficial. And it's so important that you knew that because like you said, like some others might go and, you know, get the chance to go into retail and then mm-hmm. be confused about why their product is not moving off the shelves. Yep. What about the financial side of all this? Now, you did mm-hmm. mention that you guys scale 10x year over year um, mm-hmm. since I believe it was 2014 since you launched. But um, yep. what was the initial investment? Did it go beyond the 10000 on that credit card? And then were you able to use some of your profit to pay actual salaries for those family members or was it all being reinvested in the business? So it was both. So we did have small salaries for the family members and any friends who did help, we did pay them. But uh, most of the profit was going directly back into the business, paying for two things, our biggest expenses, which is inventory or marketing, you know, whether it was getting advertising or at, at first it was influencer marketing, then became advertising. And then of course, inventory, yeah, those are the two the two biggest expenses. But most of our profit went back into that. And then, of course, we we would get, especially in the beginning, just high interest loans were really our only option for for funding for growth. So profit really helps fund maintenance. But the rate that we were growing at did require extra funds, of course, uh, to get more inventory and to increase our marketing uh, budgets. And so we would just get these high interest, lo- like quick payback loans, you know, that you, you're high interest and you're paying back within like six, six months, you know, or less in order to fund the growth. Yeah. And, and those were business loans or personal? Those were all business loans, but because, but we basically were personally guaranteeing them. And do you know, like at this point, looking back, what that first year of investment looked like? I mean, with, between the loans, between the credit card, to get all of that inventory? Like how much did that cost? Ooh, that's a good question. The first full year business, maybe like 50 or $60,000 for the first full year, I want to say. Okay. That, that was not like the reinvestment. That was actually, you know, we needed outside sources. level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you ensure that your business remains profitable because it's risky taking on things like mm-hmm. high interest loans. Um, yeah. How do you go about planning to make sure that you guys stay profitable? I think we didn't have an option to not be profitable in the beginning because we were bootstrapped, you know? So we didn't, we didn't have outside investors. So we just didn't have the option not to. So w- however, whether it's um, pricing strategies or um, increased sales or, cost cutting, we, we didn't have the option to not be profitable in the beginning um, because we were one growing so fast, but also because we, we didn't have the luxury of extra funding or extra, you know, we didn't sell any of the equity, you know, to, in order to have, have, have a, a pot that we were working with. Um, and so we had to, we had to literally, it was a simple equation, like revenue just needed to be more than expenses. Let's go, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So. And, and you can hear in your voice, just how hard you guys were going. And mm-hmm. um, I'm curious to know what were some of your marketing and advertising lessons? And I asked this because, um, you know, that initial yes, or maybe that you received from the YouTuber mm-hmm. ended up being so helpful. But were there times where you invested in a channel or a person thinking, oh, this is going to have great returns, and then it wasn't? (laughs) So what have you learned in how to really have a focused marketing strategy? Um, I think we have definitely invested in different channels. So, you know, there's, you know, my sister handles the marketing now. Um, She's our CMO. And there's been channels like, different social media channels that are like, okay, that's not either our market or it's just not the way that we're going to be profitable. You know, you know, we focus our attention on things like Facebook, 
Google ads, those, those remain profitable. We still get a good return on those ones. We've tried things like Pinterest that haven't been as successful for us, you know, um, but we test because again, because we don't have the luxury, we, at least in the beginning did not have the luxury of a pot of gold, I should say, uh, in the beginning, the testing that we did was always in small batches. So it was never super painful. So we would grow based on the results of the, the prior, you know, we might, instead of t- starting with a $2,000 budget that, that may happen with, with companies that have seed money, we started with like a $20 budget and, you know, like, let's try, let's try this audience, you know, do we get a return on that? And then let's, let's start with a $40 budget here. And did, did we get a return on that? And how's this working? And we up it from there. And then there's, there are moments where we, we can choose to have a loss leader to test it as we, to test the scale, but we're, we're just careful, I think, with which directions that we go in. We don't start with these huge numbers. We, we kind of grow as we see that, that it's working. And I'm glad you touched on uh, loss leader. So for those who, who don't know, um, can you just explain that concept, that terminology a bit? Yeah. So, you know, let's say, let's say, let me bring it to a product analogy. So if you have a product that everyone wants, you know, uh, something simple, let's say like a, I'm looking at a toothpick. So we'll say toothpicks, <laughs> you know, and you know that this is going to sell, you, you might be willing to sell that at a loss, right. In order to bring people onto your website and buy the things that are more, that are more profitable for you. So in the same situation, it seems now with the marketing, we might be willing to advertise at a loss in terms of return, uh, whether it's on YouTube or even Pinterest, let's say, if that traffic was qualified enough, and by qualified, I mean very smack dab in the center of your demographic. You know, it's like, these are people who have, are, are fully interested in potentially purchasing from you. You know, if that traffic is going to be qualified uh, to, to come to your website, then you might be willing to advertise that at a loss because they might, per- the people who are coming will purchase more or in, in maybe in either bigger quantities or the more expensive items somewhere else, you know, on, on your website. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for breaking that down. And, and, you know, one thing I love about this, this is where we get into nerdy marketing speak uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> territory is mm-hmm. as a business owner, it's important to know the lifetime value of that, of your customers. And mm-hmm. it's when you have a, a, a website, click and visit, I should say, um, how long you can keep someone on the site and what that visit ends up mm-hmm. leading to. So mm-hmm. it's so important to think that through. And speaking of that, now you have evolved from your initial product. So the initial product, cap, satin lining, protect the hair. How did you start to mm-hmm. evolve and think through what other products that you need in your business portfolio? Yeah, no, it's good that you even mentioned the study of lifetime value or the, even the average order value um, of, of a customer. Um, all of that happened because we knew that we needed something to, that, to in order to increase the average order value, which is just the, the amount on average that one customer will spend when they, when they place an order. We wanted things that could pair well with the slap, right? So it was like, okay, what, what else do we want? What else do we use when, when we're using slap scrunchie? Right, that was the first one that we went went forward with, and then you you still can sleep on a pillowcase, right? In case in case um, for also which was also very helpful for the for the skin, or in case the slap slides back a little bit, you you now have the pillowcase as added protection. So those are the first two products that we move forward with, and then in addition, even though it's a little bit of of cannibalization to have multiple head headwear products. It can be um, people still, because we're also a fashion company, people like to switch up their style. So we started offering things like additional colors of the slap uh, turbans, uh, the wax print collection, silk. We, we went into more luxury items um, after that. Again, all many of these to increase the average order value of the customer, as well as to, to elevate the brand essentially. So Grace, I'm curious to know what advice you have for other people who are listening who may, might be running a family business and they are balancing the dynamics of 
maintaining and preserving family relationships while running a serious business, dealing with things like money and investments, Mm -hmm. long-term legacy building, all of that. Like, how do Mm -hmm. you manage those dynamics? Yeah, it it definitely wasn't easy in the beginning. Um, I think we used to say that because it's a family business, the highs can be very high because you're winning together and the lows can be very low. They're even lower than if you were just with, you know, business partners or something, because you know how to push each other's buttons and you know what makes the other one tick, you know? And so a couple of tips that I would give one is, is to be willing to come back to the table, you know, after dispute, essentially, if the threat is always, I'm going to leave, you know, forever, you know, it just creates such instability. So it's like, if, if everyone knows that you're going to come back to the table, it creates a safety that creates a freedom for everyone to speak, you know, to be open and honest with what they're, what they're thinking and where they're, where they're at. Um, the other thing is as quickly as possible, you know, in the beginning, it's really hard to do this because you don't have any historical data, but as quickly as possible, start speaking in numbers as I guess would be my advice because, and what I mean by that is that when there's unsurety, instead of it being my opinion versus your opinion, it's no, no, no. What do the facts say? You know, and it, and it takes the emotion out of the argument or, or the disagreement. It's like, no, okay, but what did we sell? How did we, instead of saying, uh, I think we need to actually purchase $10,000 worth of inventory. It's like, but why? Like, what is your reasoning behind that? You know, and, and instead of this becoming a fight of, do we want to use that $10,000 for inventory or do we want to use it for marketing? It becomes, okay, if we do it this way, this is the scenario numbers wise, you know, and then if we did it on the other, on the other side, if we spent it on marketing, this is the scenario we'll run out of inventory. We'll do You know, we have, we now have a neutral <laughs> uh, fighting ground instead of, instead of this thing that's very, very emotional and heated. So as quickly as possible. So those two things come back. Don't, don't make sure everyone knows that they'll be coming back to the table and create a safe space and then uh, get to, get as specific as possible as soon as possible. That right there, those are some of the greatest gems ever um, because, you know, we all know that our gut can be very helpful uh, mm-hmm. a lot of times. And it's great when you're in that initial phase where you need momentum to push past your doubts and go for it. But mm-hmm. then when you really, when you're ready, to, you need that business to be serious and to scale, you got to move past that gut. So I love, love, love that you said that. And, you know, also about coming back to the table. That is so, mm-hmm. so important with business partner, family or not, but definitely with family. <laughs> yeah, for sure. If Looking back, if you had a chance to do everything all over again, um, from side hustling while you're going to journalism school to full-time mm-hmm. now, what would you do differently? I think I would document the journey. You know, we're so, we're, we were so head down. You know, when we look at, when I try to look at, I try to look at pictures of that time and I literally can't, I rarely can find pictures of my parents' back room filled with slaps, you know, or friends who were, who were helping us pack. We were so head down. We got to make this work. We've, you know, there's, we used to say that we were, it's like, we're driving the analogies is we're driving in a NASCAR car, trying to change the tire while the car is in motion. You know, we were going so fast, full speed ahead that we just didn't have a time to literally look up take a breath, like, look, we're doing this. Like, we've got this, you know, (laughs) Um, take pictures, document the journey, you know, in a sense, you know, we never had a chance to enjoy the journey, I should say, um, in those beginning, in the beginning years, because we were so head down. And I think that the one thing I would do differently is, is take, take, you know, smell the roses (laughs) once in a while Um, and, and really, and really take a moment to like, you know, a few moments, I should say, to, to say, we're, one day this is going to be something, you know, the trajectory we're going on. Let's take some pictures. Yeah, yeah. I think I would. Definitely. You never you never know in the moment, oh, I'm going to need a yeah. picture of this. Oh, I want a picture yeah. of this. So that's so real. And I can relate to that as well. Like, oh, mm-hmm. man, I wish I had even just chronicled what it was like from zero to X. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, people think you're always, you've always been winning and it was easy. Yep. But no, actually, nope. it, it was <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so what's next for your business? So we're looking to do some hair care products, which we're really excited about. We've already launched some single ingredient products, but we want to do a, a couple of m- more that help just, again, to define the curl, any curl, 
any, any co-pattern. We always joke that anyone who comes to work for us, no matter what their co-pattern is, whether it's completely straight or, you know, 4C, uh, always ends up at some point wearing their hair naturally if they were straightening it before, you know, <laughs> we're all about like natural, <laughs> you know, right. uh, we encourage, we encourage people to be their, their best natural selves. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, one of the, those things that we really want to, we're excited about launching is, is just hair care products that help, that help to do the same thing, encourage people to be and, and live in their natural, most beautiful selves. So. All right. So now we're going to jump on into the lightning round, which you just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Number one, what's a resource that has helped you with your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? The book Traction mm. by Gina Wickman. It's funny because the next question is all about what's the, been the best business book that you've consumed, but this year? This year, specifically. Uh, good to great. I know that's an older one, but I love that. I still love that book. All righty. Number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your day? Prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, what's a personal habit that helped you significantly when you were side hustling? I would say... Waking up early. Yeah, I get more done. Finally, number five, what is your parting advice for fellow Black women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss but are worried about not having a steady paycheck? I would say I was by the, the mantra, fear and faith have the same thing in common in that they both require you to believe something that hasn't happened yet. So wherever you are hoping to go, you know, don't just jump yet. I'm not, I'm not telling you to leave your job, but uh, don't allow your fears to dictate what, how you're going to move forward. That would be my advice. I, I don't think I've ever heard that about fear and faith having the same. I love the way that you put that. And mm-hmm. I think that is one of the favorite parting advice that I've heard in a while. So thank, mm-hmm. you, thank you so much for that. Yeah. So, where can people connect with you and the brand and the awesome, awesome products after this episode? Yeah. So, you know, you can find us on our website, gracealaya.com and our Facebook and Instagrams are at gracealaya. All right, guys. So there you have it. And head on over to sidehustlepro.co to get all the show notes from this episode. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six bullet Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you'll receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.